أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسوله سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه وأزواجه وذرياته وأهل بيته ومن تبعهم بإحسان وبعد All praises to Allah All praises to Allah All praises to Allah who guided us to Islam and Iman in His Mubarak house and we were not to be guided was it not that Allah Ta'ala had guided us O oh Allah, to you is praise as is commensurate with the majesty of your countenance and the greatness of your authority. O oh Allah, we don't limit you with any praise we can come up with ourselves. Rather, we admit that you're the only one who knows the true extent of your praiseworthiness. And may the peace and blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be upon his servant and messenger, his servant and messenger our master Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. May the peace and blessings of Allah ta'ala be upon him and upon his noble companions and upon his pure wives and upon his mubarak and blessed family and progeny and upon all of those who follow all of their way until the Day of Judgment. Respected ulama, beloved elders, brothers and sisters, youth group, mashallah, keep it real. Uh, mashallah, you guys took a beating and you came back for more. I'm impressed, and I'm very rarely impressed. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala welcome you into His house. This is inshallah Mubarak gathering, the Mubarakah this gathering has. Little to do with the words that are going to be said, but more with the nisbah of this place to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That Allah ta'ala chose a place for everyone to be in this Mubarak time, in this, in this hour, and He chose for you to be in His house, and that means something. The question or the topic that was given to me is the road ahead. And when I reflect over the lives of the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum, I see that Rasulullah trained them and prepared them in a certain way to deal with challenges that they were going to see in the world. He didn't used to tell them when they were in Makkah Mukarramah or in Medina Munawwara that you guys will stay here and you guys will pray five times a day and you'll enjoy yourself and that's it. You understand what I'm saying? He trained them, radiallahu ta'ala anhum, to. Do great work. He trained them to do great work and he trained them to do big things. Do you understand what I'm saying? Those same Muslims that are being captured, tortured, beaten, cursed at, sworn at uh, in Makkah Mukarramah, killed in Makkah Mukarramah, tortured in Makkah Mukarramah. He told them, be steadfast, the day will come, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bring Yemen to you, and Allah ta'ala will bring Sham to you, and Allah ta'ala will bring Iraq to you, Allah ta'ala will bring you know, the Egyptians to you, every, every one of the, the people that you know, the Romans, the Persians, everyone you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to bring them underneath your feet one day. Remain steadfast, He gave them what? He gave them a vision. He gave them a vision bigger than you're going to be a doctor one day. He gave them a vision bigger than you're going to make six-figure salary one day. These are peanuts. These are not even wealth. Even from a dunyawi point of view, it's not even wealth. He gave them a big vision for this dunya. And the vision He gave them for the akhirah is something beyond compare. There's nothing in this world that you can make qiyas with, with regards to the vision that He gave them for the akhirah. So, go big or go home. Moana Shakir, with all due respect. Go around grabbing your dopey and calling you, know, telling you, calling you a packy. 
is probably offensive because you're from India. So he said, I'm not from Pakistan. But that guy, he probably had no idea what the difference is. So you're probably hurt for a completely different reason. But at any rate, it was a small inconvenience to go through compared to what our righteous forebears went through. And I'm not just talking about the Sahaba of Allah Ta'ala. And it's because of these small sacrifices that a person makes, Allah Ta'ala opens great doors. It's because of these small sacrifices a person makes, Allah Ta'ala opens great doors. And I'm not talking about the dunya. The dunya, mashallah, he becomes a shaykh, and he's the imam, and he's a hafiz of Qur'an. And he's the representative of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in the house of Allah Ta'ala. This is a great nisbah if a person understood what the value was for this. Then people would come with guns and knives to fight him for it. But this is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the wilayah of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala which lives forever in Jannah. This is, this is what? Why? Because you go through a little bit of difficulty over here. Because your friends went to Burger King and ordered a Whopper and you, you know, you're like, oh man, Sheikh said it's haram and you know, another Sheikh said it's not but I'm just gonna have some taqwa and like not eat it. And why are you going to Jannah for? You think you're gonna to go to Jannah because of your hairdo? Why is Allah Ta'ala going to send you to Jannah? Why? Because you did something for him. You showed your love to him. The Sahaba radiallahu anhum, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa he gave them a big vision. Go big or go home. This masjid in Ashwa, go big or go home. Y'all know where he came from. Go big or go home. Someone said, well, I was born and raised here, I converted to Islam. That's fine. Darul Islam is for Muslims. Islam is not a racial religion or whatever. Go make hijra to a Muslim country, whichever one you like. Leave. Because the amount of sacrifice you're going to go through over here is going to be a shadow or a reflection of the sacrifices that the Sahaba who made in Makkah Mukarramah and Medina Munawwara. Because the hard work hasn't been done here yet. If you go to the Indian subcontinent, already... Khaja Muhyiddin Chishti and Khaja Qutbuddin Bakhtiyar Kaki and Mujaddid Al-Fsani and all of these great ulama, they did what they did. If you go to West Africa, Sheikh Usman Danfodio and Umar Tal and uh, all the different mashayikh, you know, they already established things. The hard work is done, the heavy lifting is done. All you have to do, get a house close to the masjid, walk to the masjid, walk home, say your five daily prayers and get on with your life. This is the fadl of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is ni'mah and barakah from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that it's done already. You don't have to go through those, those, those sacrifices. Why? Someone else did it for you already. You can live your life uh, with ease and with peace and you can enjoy the barakat and the, the, uh, uh, you know, the blessings of, of what somebody else did and what somebody else established. And to continue something, to keep it going is a lot easier than starting it from the beginning. And lest a person think that it's armies that conquered Sham, and armies that conquered Yemen, and armies that conquered Iraq, and armies that conquered Egypt, and armies that conquered Central Asia, and the Indian subcontinent, and East Africa, and West Africa. If you read the history of Islam, you'll see every single place where the armies of the Muslims arrived, two groups of people arrived before them from the Muslims, from the Ummah of the Prophet One is who? Is the traitors. The people who uh, went to do business, and the second is who? The people, the, the dhikr, the people, the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who went there to do da'wah and to make the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the two of those things, or all of those things, they're, they're, they're together. You see, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa gave a beautiful sunnah for every single thing that a person does. 
including how to do business. So Walmart, which is making billions of dollars off of things like having a return policy, these were things that are unknown from the world. I mean, a person thinks of like things from Wahi, from Revelation. Okay, fine. You know, Surah Taha, that's Revelation, right? Shaykh read it in Salat. That's what we think of as Wahi. There's a lot of stuff that's Wahi, right? The idea of having a dictionary, this completely comes from Wahi. The first dictionary was, was uh, the idea of a dictionary was first uh, promulgated by Sayyidina Abdullah bin Abbas anhu in a debate that he had in the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Makkah Mukarramah with, uh, with uh, Nafi' bin Azraq, one of the Imams of the Khawarij, uh, in order to prove to him that he understood the meanings of the words of the Quran better than the Khawarij did. And so Nafi' bin Azraq would say, what does this word mean? Because the words of the Qur'an are difficult, right? It's not like every Arab walks around saying Farat bin Qaswara and Zamharir and all these things. You don't use those words in regular speech. It's like, it's a very high level of vocabulary. So, uh, uh, so, so this, this, this uh, arrogant man would ask Abdullah bin Abbas, the nephew of the Prophet the cousin of the Prophet وسلم, uh, what does this word mean? And he would tell him what it means. And then he would say, it comes in this ayah of the Qur'an, and uh, in this uh, 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 you know, speech of the Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And he says, what's your proof? And he would you, you quote a, a line of poetry from uh, Arabic, from pre-Islamic Arabic poetry, in order to prove it. Where did the dictionary come from? Wahi. Sayyidina Abdullah bin Abbas who preceded the first English dictionary by at least a thousand years. He preceded the English language, much less English dictionary, by centuries, right? There are so many things like that, they come back from, they come from wahi, a person takes it for granted, right? The fact that we wear clothes, the fact that we have speech, all of these things, you think we, uh, human beings invented these on, on their own? There's dolphins and gorillas that have brains bigger than ours. And that have the ability to learn these things, but they don't have the ability to teach them. All of this is something that what? It's something that Allah Ta'ala gave us, it comes not from this world. It comes from where our watan is. Where is our homeland? You're not from Canada. You're not from the east and you're not from the west. You're not from, uh, from, from Pakistan or Hindustan or Arabistan. You're not from any of these places. Where are you from? You're from Al-Jannah. And you have certain habits of Jannah that you brought with you over here, like wearing clothes and speaking. Speaking language, Right? There are a lot of things we take for granted that come from a different realm. People don't think about it. It doesn't come from here. There's no human being who has smart enough to invent these things themselves. One of them is what? You're going to laugh at me. One of them is a return policy. You know how you return stuff, right? All sales are final. All sales are final. Every culture has this idea, all sales are final. What happened? Rasulullah said what? He said, if someone buys something from you... Right, what did he say? A sahabi radiallahu anhu explained it. He opened up a shop. He's buying and selling, buying and selling, buying and selling. Somebody brought something from him, and he, you know, after several months he bought something from it, and he brought it back, so I don't want it anymore, give me my money back. So the sahabi radiallahu anhu quietly gives him his money back, and then he starts taking the shop down, taking all the merchandise down from the shop. He says, what are you doing? He says, I'm taking my shop down. He says, why are you taking your shop down? He says, I had no need to run the shop. The only reason I ran the shop is because I heard the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam say, uh, whoever, you know, somebody's unhappy with some merchandise that they bought from him, whoever uh, uh, returns their money to them without giving them any hassle, he said, I guarantee, I promise that person that Allah will give them Jannah in, in, in return. Do you know of any Kafir who had a return policy before that? Absolutely not. They're making money from it because it's good business, it's a good business idea. 
and it has barakah because it has nisbah to Rasulullah But the reason for it is not so that Walmart can make a billion dollars and that Superstore can make a billion dollars. That's not the reason it's a sunnah. What's the reason it's a sunnah? What's the reason for the barakah of it? Because Allah Ta'ala knew that these people who carry La ilaha illallah, they're going to go with the wind in all of the different directions. They're going to go to Africa, Central Asia, Indonesia, Malaysia, India, all of these places. They're going to Sham, they're going to go into the lands of the Romans, they're going to go into all of these places. And they're also, part of the test is that we also have to live in this world as well. You know, we're not like uh, Power Rangers or X-Men, Marvel X-Men characters that we fly around, la 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 and shoot like fireballs and thunderbolts at people and say, oh, you have to believe in Iman, otherwise, you know, you can't like control thunder like me. It doesn't work that way, right? Otherwise, it wouldn't have been a test. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been a test whatsoever. How are we going to show Allah Ta'ala our love if we don't have to suffer anything for His, for his sake? So, this is what a tool that Allah Ta'ala gave us that we can go and do this work for His deen. And make a and like you know make enough to make a living, and also more importantly make ourselves a house forever, a place forever in Allah Taala's rida and His pleasure in Jannah, with His awliya, with the people that He loves. That's what the point of all of these things were. Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam trained his sahaba radiyallahu anhum with so many things. All of these things, how are you going to learn them in one talk that you know shouldn't last really longer? That it shouldn't have been, This talk has already gone on too long. You can't learn it in one talk. It's not going to be exciting. It's not going to have somebody come from out of town. It comes from what? Coming, sitting at the feet of the ulama, day in and day out, learning daraba yadribu, and learning, you know, like al-marfu' uh, al-mansub al-majroor, and, and having to memorize lines of poetry, and having to, you know, sit, the kids sway back and forth, and they're, you know, repeating the whatever, 17th juz, like for the 30th time this week. And like, that's how it happens. You learn that way. That's the way you learn these things. If you are smart enough to be able to figure out for yourself, then what's the point of the Qur'an being revealed? There's no point in wahi, there's no point in revelation if you think you can figure these things out yourself. And one of the foundational stupidities of the age that we live in is that we have a really large number of people in our ummah who think that I'm going to use my brain and figure out everything on my own. Whereas you were commanded to figure out how to make an airplane on your own and how to make a car engine that burns less fossil fuel on your own, and how to make a new antibiotic that's going to defeat, you know, uh, drug-resistant superbugs on your own. You weren't meant to make a mean on your own. Rasulullah showed the Sahaba anhum the path forward, the way forward, right? The road forward, which is what? Go big or go home. In their case, it's like, you know, Tariq bin Ziyad. You heard the story about Tariq bin Ziyad, right? There's a hadith in the Muwatta of Imam Malik. Uh, the story is a long story, but at any rate, the, the part of it that's, that's relevant is that the Prophet ﷺ said that, I saw, uh, I saw 10,000 people from my ummah sailing on ships in a dream, I was sailing on ships that had so much majesty and awe. Uh, the ship sat on the, on the sea, like a king sits on his throne, and they all went out in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that, that, that group of people was who? The, the muhaddithun say that that group of people is Tariq bin Ziyad and the army that conquered Andalusia. So the story goes that they took the ships across from the, the uh, 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 Sibta, from, from, from Morocco and Maghrib to uh, 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 Jabal Tariq, right? Gibraltar. And Tariq bin Ziyad burned the ships behind him. Why? Because we're going to go big and we're not even going to talk about going home. When you say go big or go home, it's like istithna, like غير متصل. It's like 
the go home doesn't actually exist as, a, as an option. It's just a rhetorical device, right? Why? We're going to burn the ships. We're going to do this thing or like we're just going to do this thing. This is the only, the only choice we have. Why? Because you have two options. You can either do it on your own, in which case what? In which case, you're a foreigner in this land, you don't have any money, you look different than other people, so they can literally like identify you uh, as a different person. Someone might say, well, okay, my name is like whatever, Stan or Gordon, I just took Shahada last week, so I can put on a suit and get by. Well, guess what? Your wife is gonna wear a hijab, so they're, gonna, they're gonna figure it out, okay? You look different, there's no way you can hide. You're, there's no way you can, there's no place for you to run to. There's nothing else you can do anyway. And there are a group of people in this land, I live on the other side of the border, trust me, they're all very well connected with one another, that absolutely hate our deen, and who have made it a, a, a stated goal of theirs in public and in private. What does it mean? Right? A curse beyond every Hamaz. Hamaz is the person who talks garbage about you behind your back. And Alamaz is the person who talks garbage to you in, in your face. Right? There's a group of humaza and lumaza. The one who, his sifa, his trait, is that that person gathers money and is constantly counting it, and they think that their money is going to make them live forever. They literally have hundred year plans of how they're going to completely eradicate the deen from this land and from other places in this world. And they're good plans. They're better at planning than Pakistanis and Arabs are, trust me, than Indian people are. They're really good at their planning, okay? So one, one option we have is we can do it our way and we're up against a pretty steep set of odds. The other option is we can do Rasulullah's way and the benefit of that is what? It's difficult on the nafs, but you receive the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the only card that you, that you can win this game with is Allah ta'ala. It's the card that beats every other card. Or you could quit and then you go to Jahannam forever. It's fun while it lasts, maybe for some people, not really. You can quit and that's it, you're done. There's really no other option. And the issue is this, look, one of the reasons that I get called to speak at different places is oftentimes because more popular and uh, more talented speakers are like booked or their you know, honorarium is too expensive, so they say this guy is like backup, you can get him. Why? Because I don't tell people what they want to hear, nor do I tell things to people that are going to endear me to them. But the fact of the matter is, if you actually honestly read our history, and you read the history of the Sahaba anhum, you read the history of, of all sorts of different people who carried this Islam, this deen, to all of the different lands of the world, you'll realize none of them made it easy. We have it actually very easy over here. None of them made it easy. MashaAllah, the Indian subcontinent, uh, 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 you know, you people are going to Hajj, and their ships are getting like hijacked, and their women are getting enslaved, and like, um, you know, like hijaj or like whatever. You can go from Pearson, mashallah, to like Jeddah or Medina Munawwara, like relatively, relative, not relatively, absolutely unmolested, right? We don't, we don't have it that bad. I remember reading, I told you in Ramadan, I like had a little biographical pieces about the different mashayikh. There's a biographical piece about Miyaji uh, Nur uh, Muhammad Janjanawi, rahimahullah ta'ala, is one of the shaykh al-mashayikh, the shaykh of, 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 of Haji Saab, uh, uh, about how he was, uh, uh, he went to, he went to uh, visit the grave of one of the mashayikh, and that graveyard was taken over by hostile uh, Hindus. They literally destroyed the... Uh, they, they took the graveyard by force, kicked the Muslims out, destroyed the graves, and they built a temple over it, right? 
That stuff is not happening over here. And those are not things in the early part of like the Muslim history in the Indian subcontinent. That's after the Muslims have been there for like centuries and have madars and all of these things. What is it? Why is it? It's because everyone who says La ilaha illallah and everyone in that's specific because it's the highest truth. And everything underneath it, anyone who says any sort of truth, always people oppose them for it. Even truths that don't have to do with the deen, right? Anyone here know who Socrates is? Socrates is a philosopher, he's a Greek philosopher, the Western tradition celebrates him. In the way that Western tradition celebrates people, which is what? Beat the snot out of them while they're alive, and once they're dead, say, oh, he's such a great man. He was a man who used to, he was a smart guy, he used to go around and tell truth to people, he used to point out this hypocrisy, that hypocrisy, you're saying this, but you're doing another thing, this thing doesn't make sense, you're actually pretending to wish well for people, but you're really a thief. He just went around telling people so much truth, and so all of Athens says, this guy has to die, and they gave him a glass of poison hemlock, this is just drink it on your own, kill yourself, otherwise we're going to come after you and kill you, and it's, you know, the poison is going to be less uh, uh, you know, painful for you than what, we're, what we have in store. And then afterward, you can become a big hero of Western civilization, right? Why? Because anyone who speaks truth, people are going to oppose them. Being nice and having good adab and good akhlaq doesn't mitigate this at all. Because who had more uh, good akhlaq than Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? Who was nicer than Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? Who was one who loved others and was loved by others more than him sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? Waraqat ibn Nufil, the, the, the uncle of Sayyidah Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha, he's the one who said to him, he said that this is the same namus that came down on Sayyidina Musa alayhi is going to come down on you. I wish my life was long enough that when, when our people oppose you, I would have been there to help you. I wish I had that opportunity to help you. Even Rasulullah sallallahu said, they're going to oppose me? They all loved him sallallahu alayhi He says, nobody came with this thing that you came with except for his people are going to oppose him for it. Nobody. So, this is something you have to kind of accept. You don't go out of the sunnah, to not go out of your way to earn people's ire, is to be as nice as you can in order to reduce that as much as you're able to. But the sunnah is still to know that what? It's gonna happen. People are gonna give you flack about it. And you think it's Stan and Gord on the street? Those guys are most, mostly gonna, like that one guy who whatever smacked your uh, head and grabbed your topi from you, he's probably right now like whatever, like, uh, you know, working as a multicultural minister for Trudeau, and he probably remembers there's this one Paki kid, and, you know, Moash, I'm not Paki, stop it. You know, like, you know, he's like, it's one Paki kid, I knocked his hat off his head, and that, like, you know, then I cha- changed my life afterward that I'm not going to be like that anymore, right? They're not, who's going to oppose you? Your own family members and relatives. Your own neighbors. The person you were nice to. The person you gave money to. It happens. What are you going to do? Be a special snowflake and cry about it? Allah Ta'ala is going to send you to Jannah forever for a reason eventually, right? You know it's part of the deal. It's part and parcel of the deal. How are you going to... The only option right now is to what? Ask for the help of Allah Ta'ala because in terms of rational means, there's, this is a, a, a fight. There's no way you're going to win. This is a struggle. There's no way you're going to win it. But by that same rational assessment, the Prophet ﷺ shouldn't have won. His Sahaba shouldn't have won. Islam shouldn't have gone to Sham or to uh, Egypt or it shouldn't have beat the Romans. It shouldn't have beat the Persians. It shouldn't have beat. It shouldn't have gone into the Indian subcontinent for so many centuries and Spain for so many centuries to the point where even though the Spanish kicked the Muslims out of uh, Andalusia, they still can't get rid of all the Arabic words in their language and they still take Qailula, therefore like following more Sunnah in their day than many Muslims do. You can't, you can't do anything about it. It's there. You can't get rid of it. 
Why? Because the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was there with it. There are three things that you're going to need in order to help the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is not because I'm a smart person and I thought about it and figured it out. This is completely the teachings of the wahi of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And it's a, 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 a tried and tested formula that's worked again and again and again and again. The first thing you need is to have some basic modicum of knowledge. Knowledge is not going to get done by reading Wikipedia and Google. Hey, youth group guys. You're not going to get the knowledge from Wikipedia and Google. Wikipedia is not a Muslim and nor is Google. Do you understand what I'm saying? The guys who write the Wikipedia article and the Google uh, search whatever things, those are machines, right? Those are machines. They're going to, they're, they start in this world and they die in this world. They have no hereafter. They won't go to Jannah or Jahannam. They're just machines. And more likely than not, the people behind the machines are not even Muslims in the first place. Right? You're going to learn it from what? From our mashallah, venerable and saint-like ulama like Mulana Shakir and one of the other mashallah ulama of the different nations of the world and the different madahib and the different uh, whatever uh, uh, you know, schools of thought that populate all of these wonderful white stone, green trimming massages of the GTA. You're going to have to go to one of them and you're going to have to learn. You're going to have to learn how to pray. Well, I already know how to pray. Well, you don't. Uh, until you've actually sat and learned if you can tell me which book you read from and the book which is like a classical book because they didn't invent Salat like you know 20 years ago or 5 years ago right Salat has been around for a thousand years so one of the old books that teaches how to, how to do those you have to learn how to pray from there you have to learn how to fast from there you have to learn more than the Sharia because look Islam which is the, the, the manifestation of the deen on your limbs you know your actions okay it breaks into three, into three categories. One category, category number one is what? Your ibadat, praying and fasting, giving zakat and things like that. Everyone's like, yeah, I know that's Islam. Okay? What is a good Muslim? Guy who's in the masjid praying all the time, right? Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu, he asked, does anyone know so-and-so? And someone who's sitting there says, yeah, I know him, he's a good man. He's like, do you really know him? He's like, yeah, he's a good guy. He's like, you just see him in the masjid all the time, right? He goes, he goes, he goes, you, have, you ever, have you ever traveled with him? Have you ever done business with him? Have you ever lived with him? No. You just see him in the masjid and that's why you think he's a good guy, right? Why? Because it's a part of the deen. It's an important part of the deen. It's not the whole thing. First is your ibadat and then is your mu'amalat. How are you supposed to transact? Right? So the kids ask, well, why is it haram to buy a lottery ticket? Why is it haram to, you know, buy life insurance? Why is it haram to buy, have a mortgage? These are good questions. You should ask them. You should learn the answers to them. Why? How are you supposed to get, you know, how are you, how are you supposed to then buy things, sell things? How are you supposed to use a credit card properly? Uh, is it jayas to use whatever air miles and points and all of these other things? You may think you know the answer, but until you actually go to the ulama and learn them, you don't know. You have to admit you don't know. I don't know myself. I ask people quest these questions all the time myself. Oftentimes I have an idea of what the answer is. I go and ask the people who are more learned than me. More often than not, they'll say the exact answer that I think that they're going to say, but you still have to ask. Why? Because man fassal al-Qur'an, man qala fil Qur'an bira'ihi faqad akhta'a win asab. It's a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, narrated in Tirmidhi, or kama qala alayhi salam. Whoever says an opinion about the Qur'an from their own opinion, not like something they learned, but from their own opinion, talks about the Qur'an by their own opinion, that person's wrong even if they happen to be right. And so someone said, how is that possible? So mashallah, my graphic analogies, the analogy I give is for what? Imagine, somebody's on an airplane, okay? So the airplane is, you know, like if you live in Mississauga, so you're taking a flight from Calgary, so you're coming from the west, uh, uh, or sorry, you're taking a flight, you're coming from Montreal. So Mississauga is east of the airport. 
So he said, instead of going you know, to the airport and then having to drive back eastward to my, to my house, why don't I just open the emergency exit and jump out of the airplane? Two reasons. The lesser, lesser reason is you're probably not going to make the jump accurate. You'll jump and you'll probably land somewhere you don't want to be. But let's just say, for instance, you actually did land right in front of your door. What's the problem with that? You're going to die. It's going to kill you. It's a dumb idea. Don't do it. So you have your ibadah, you have your mu'amalat, you have your mu'asharat. How are you supposed to get married? How is a husband supposed to be you know, with his wife? And then you call Mu'an uh, Shakira uh, in the middle of the night. Do I have to cook dinner for him? He said I have to cook dinner for him and it's haram for me not to cook dinner. Yeah, and uh, you know, do, you know, do I have to pay for her like medical expenses? Because I heard some sheikh on Google said it. Learn these things before you get married. Then you don't have to fight with your wife about these things. There may be other things you'll fight about, but those are more easy to take care of. Right? This is something our elders told us, mashallah. They said that whatever you do, if you have a fight with your wife or with your husband, sisters, brothers, if you have a fight with your wife, don't quote ayat of the Quran and hadith of the Prophet ﷺ in your fight. Leave Allah and His Rasul ﷺ for afterward when you have to make istighfar while the fight is going on. That's just you two nafsis. That's nobody else. That's just the two of you. We have to learn the law of these things so you know how to deal with one another. You know? Uh, it's important. And it's not something that like, you know, you're going to go learn from women's studies department at the university or from like some whatever, uh, uh, like whatever bro like uh, website or something like that on, on the internet or like whatever, like male, uh, whatever man, man, manliness like podcast you listen to. You don't learn it from them, you learn it from the ulama. Those are three things. The fourth thing is what? You have to learn your aqidah. Has anyone heard of the aqidah tahawiyah before? Who here thinks it's a very advanced book? Raise your hand, be honest. The Aqidah Tahawiyah sounds pretty. It sounds pretty complicated. It's a pamphlet. It can fit the whole text of it. Can fit on one sheet of paper, front and back. Okay, I teach it in 15, 15 instructional hours. Moana Shakir probably doesn't want to teach it because he wants to do other things. But if you come to him, maybe he does want to teach it. Maybe he's been making dua and he secretly desires that someone come in. Like I went to Madrasa for like eight years and everyone thinks I just went like this and like learned du'as the whole time. He actually learned the entire sharia and aqaid and all of these things. Maybe he wants you to teach it to him. Right? Go to him and say, you know, be honest. Say, look, the, the beliefs of a Muslim are what make them a Muslim. And they're like really important and I never studied them before. So can we at least read the aqidah tahawiyah from you and learn the basics of our, of our, of our aqaid? That's four. The fifth and the last one is what? The fifth and the last one is the zikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala which has to enter into the heart. That's something that you're not going to be able to get from an entertaining bayan, from an outlandish gesticulating speaker who comes once a year. Whether he has a funny accent or no funny accent, right? Because people come from other countries, they're very entertaining, mashallah. The idea is what? The zikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is something that the tongue, right? This is part of the theory of the deen. That the heart is like a, a city, like the old cities that have different gates, right? They used to lock the gates at night so that they could defend the city from the enemies. The city, the heart is like a city that has gates. What is the gate for? It's to let good stuff in and keep bad stuff out. So the gates of the heart are what? Every, everything you see, everything you hear, everything you taste and eat and drink, uh, everything that goes into the stomach, right? Everything you smell, everything you touch, uh, everything you walk to and walk back from. And everything that your uh, what's between your two legs interacts with, and what's between your two jaws, your tongue, 
Someone might say, how is the tongue? The tongue is saying words outward. I can understand the ear, it's coming into the heart. How is it the, to the tongue that's shooting words outward? How is that affecting the heart? Right? You know how you like to do a CC on an on a, on a, a, a email? Right? Everything your tongue says, there's a CC that's sent to the heart. That's one of the hikmas of not cursing. Why? Because you think you're cussing somebody else out? All of that garbage is going inside of your heart. What, do you think that when you die, the angel of death is going to be like, you have 30 seconds to think of what your last words are going to be? No. Everyone's like, yeah, when I die, I'm going to say, la ilaha illallah, and I'm going to Jannah, son. But the problem is this, the thing you say at that time is not what you choose to say. It's the thing you've been saying your whole life. So if you've been saying, Allah, Allah, you'll say Allah at the time of your death. If you've been saying, la ilaha illallah, if you sat every day for after Asr and faced the Qibla, turned the lights out and said, la ilaha illallah, you know, like for an hour every day, uh, that's what you're going to say at the time of death, inshallah. And if your gut reaction is like, what the? And you know, you say different colorful uh, vocabulary words, you know, at, at that time, at those times, then that's the thing. Imagine the, the person, this hadith of the Prophet whoever the last speech is, La ilaha illallah, that person will enter Jannah. So you guys are smart people. Who, what about the person whose last word is the F word? Where is he going? I mean, I don't know for sure, but it doesn't sound like a good idea. If you think about it logically, it sounds like it's kind of scary, it's like a bad thing. Right? So all of these things, the zikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the hope is what? Other than remembering Allah ta'ala all the time, because the zikr of Allah ta'ala is more, more uh, something that's even more subtle than just what you say on the tongue. Right? Allah ta'ala says in his book, Remember your Lord inside of your very being uh, in a way that's even more subtle than speech, right? So that means that the dhikr of Allah is a state you carry with you inside of your heart. It's not just like what your tongue says, right? But the idea is because everything the tongue says, you're getting a cc to the heart as well. So that's a good place to start. If you have the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the primary benefit is what? Is that your khatima, the way you pass from this world, it becomes more and more secure that it will leave on iman. Whereas if you are heedless of Allah ta'ala, even if only if you only remember Him five times in the day, that's a very small amount of time compared to the rest of your time. And not everybody dies while they're making salat. But not only is the benefit that what? That, that, that you, you, will, you will secure your passing from this world on iman, which is your ticket to salvation forever in the hereafter. In addition to that, we're talking about the path forward for us as a community. Every place where the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is made, imagine it's like you know the, the, the stakes that you tie a tent with, you drive them into the ground deeper and deeper and deeper. And those places, they can't come out from them. Once the dhikr of Allah Ta'ala is, the soil has tasted it, that place has tasted so much, the, the, the permanence of the deen in those places become deeper and deeper and deeper until what happens, the land becomes something like what our homelands have become, which is people can do crazy things, they can fight, they can kill each other, the kuffar can try to kick the Muslims out, they can't even be successful at kicking the Muslims out, but they're never going to be able to kick the Islam out. Wherever you see left and right, the remembrance and the reminder of the deen will be there forever. Nobody can assault it, nobody can assail it. The state of the Khulafa Rashidun, right? Because we have all these kind of nut-headed groups running around in the backwoods in Syria and, and, and Iraq and whatever. So, oh my God, he's going to bring that. Okay, we have these people that's wrong. What they're doing is wrong. You don't say Allahu Akbar and like cut the heads off of people who uh, uh, you know, did nothing. That's haram. Killing people is very haram, right? 
the, the, the state that they're trying to make and the caliphate they're trying to make, one of the foundational errors that they made in their assessment of the deen was to think that that state is a government that exists in this world. The true kingship of Rasulullah wasallam. where is it going to be seen? In Mecca, in Medina, where? In Jerusalem, in the Arab world, where? Pakistan, where? Anyone? It's going to be on Yom Al-Qiyamah when no one's shafa'ah will be accepted except for his sallallahu alayhi wasallam, And no one's maqam will be like his. And no one's honor will be like his. Then the people will see this Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He has, he has a maqam unlike any other. There's no way to show that to a person in this world. Where will you see who is Abu Bakr and who is Omar? In Medina Munawwara, when like whatever the Qatari TV station makes like a YouTube you know, TV drama about like, you know, his life. No, that's all great. Well, it's not really that great either. But the thing is that like whatever, it's not like, you know, it's wonderful the things he did, the things that both of them did, anhuma in this world, they're wonderful. That day when you see entire nations of people being thrown into the garbage heap of the hellfire and burned as if they're garbage, as if they're nothing. That day you'll see what the value of these people was, what the kingship of these people were. That the reason Allah Ta'ala gave them power in this world is so that they could spread this dhikr of Allah Ta'ala and this deen and the message of this deen to other people. Why? Because their state is done, it's finished, it doesn't exist anymore. But does that mean that they were defeated? Absolutely not. Everywhere, everywhere a person carries La ilaha illallah with them in their heart. Everywhere, not like the like, you know, just like kind of saying Sunday school, like no, the, really, like the person who carries La ilaha illallah with them in their heart, that's a place no one can touch it. You can't even, you can't harm a person's La ilaha illallah that's inside their heart even by killing them. It will still live forever. There's nothing you can do to it. It's an impenetrable fortress. It's something once it comes to a place, you can't get rid of it. You can spend money, you can oppose the person, you can call them a paki even if they're from India, you can do uh, to grab their topi, you can, do, you, you, you can harm them, beat them, you can do whatever you want. You can't touch it. You all should know that. They know it for sure. That's why they don't like it. People who like the idea of committing zina and like you know, getting drunk and like uh, rich stealing from the poor and racism and all these other things. They know this la ilaha illallah wherever it comes. Uh, uh, there's nobody who, can, nobody who can do anything with it. There's no one historically who was ever able to oppose it no matter what they threw at it. If you want to know the road forward, then what is it? You have to go big or go home. And someone says, oh my goodness, I'm just trying to make a living. This Moldy Sahib is trying to like make me resurrect like, you know, some sort of you know, social, political, spiritual edifice that like, you know, the foundations are in this world and the building rises all the way to the hereafter. And you know, unfortunately we don't have any other options. Other options aren't good options. And fortunately Allah Ta'ala, His help is there for the people who want to do it. So I apologize if I didn't give you a convenient solution that makes you feel good. I told you, you have to now hit up Mulana Shakir and learn the Aqidat Hawiyah and like the whatever, Ruli Dah from him. And you have to like, you know, sit and make the dhikr of Allah Ta'ala, which he would be happy to instruct you about. And you're going to have to like, you know, uh, uh, you know, make this masjid, you know, uh, uh, packed more and more and not just like three, four guys at Asr. But you're a nice house in the other part of town, sell it and buy like an apartment in a cheap, you know, cheap part of town. Why? Because it's next to the house of Allah. Imagine Allah Ta'ala, imagine this, right? Imagine Allah Ta'ala, he, what did He command, how did He command people to treat their neighbors? 
Rasulullah said that the angel Jibreel kept telling me to honor the neighbors so much so that I thought that before I leave this world, he's going to say that the neighbors receive a share of inheritance as well. Meaning that they're like become like relatives. So if Allah Ta'ala commanded uh, the people to honor their, relative, their neighbors, then what do you think is the commandment of, or what do you think the, the reality is of being the neighbor of the house of Allah? You'll be forgiven for all kinds of nonsense just because you're the neighbor of the house of Allah Ta'ala. You understand what I'm saying? And so a real estate agent will tell you that the price of real estate has to do with three things. Location, location, location. So if a kafir will pay $500,000 for a condominium that otherwise would be worth $100,000 because it has a view of the sea or the view of Lake Ontario or whatever, right? So a person who has iman, what should he want to do? Right? The elders, they already bought their houses. I'm talking to you guys, right? The kids. When you have a choice, where do you want to live? Where, do, you, how, do you want to live near the masjid or far from it? You, green, green stripe on your jacket. Where do you want to live? Of course you want to live near the masjid. If you're the neighbor of the house of Allah Ta'ala, you know Allah's going to take care of you, right? So the good news is you have a choice. One day Allah Ta'ala will give you the choice where you want to live. Make a good choice inshallah. The person who's next to the house of Allah. These are all ways Rasulullah Sallallahu taught us that we receive the help of Allah Ta'ala. And if Allah is helping you, then like these things become very... I mean, I don't want to say they're easy because they're not. But if Allah is helping you, then anything becomes easy. Everything becomes easy. He created the whole heavens and the earth from nothing. He doesn't care about like which party wins the next election. It doesn't bother him like whatever weird orange-headed weirdo sits in the White House and all these other... It doesn't bother him at all. It's not, it's not a big deal, right? So this is a reminder first for myself and then for other people. If you don't have courage inside of your heart, if you're not brave, Islam is not going to work for you. But the problem is what? All the other ways lead to Jahannam. So you may as well take a little bit of courage, encouragement. You know, if you can't do the whole thing, at least do the small part of what, what was talked about that you can do and ask Allah for help. The one who makes amal and makes action on what little they know, Allah will teach them more and He'll give them more actions. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give all of us uh, His help. Allah ta'ala protect this masjid. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect all the masajids in this land and in all other lands. Allah ta'ala protect everybody who walks on this earth with La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam inside of his heart and make every heart of every believer that contains La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah a mighty fortress, an unassailable fortress. And invest those people with such power in their hearts and in their minds and in their bodies and in their limbs that, that people will be attracted to them and people will be, uh, uh, will be abhor uh, horrified from their enemies and people will listen to them and not listen to their enemies and the people will love them and the people will hate their enemies and the people will join them and they'll separate from their enemies and the people will help them and uh, oppose their enemies Allah Ta'ala make us amongst those who help them and Allah make them amongst them and Allah never make us the ones who love their enemies or the ones who uh, 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 the ones who support their enemies or become one of their enemies Allah Ta'ala give all of us all of this and whatever else that we should have asked for that he knows in his ilm from his fadl and his minna he's the akram al akramin Allah Ta'ala give us all of what we should have asked for even more than that wa sallallahu ta'ala rasulihi sayyidina muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in